Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that your grace and mercy are unending uh, toward those of us uh, whom you have brought into a relationship with you. And Lord, uh, for your great love for this world and how you reach out in your mercy to even the most unlikely of people, Lord, that you would do that work even in our day. In Jesus' name, amen. So before Sam and Jackie Mogisha left, they gave me some Rwandan coffee, and I drank some at about 5.30 this morning. I, they're trying to kill me. I, it's laced with something because it's not that I feel like, ah, but like I, something's wrong. So if I fall over, I, I want them, uh, what's it called, uh, extradited? Yeah, that's, I want them brought back to the United States of Santrell. So, okay. Uh, Acts chapter 16, uh, here we are, uh, we're still in Philippi, and let's read about what happened. Uh, well, let's just backtrack a little bit so that we're in the right place. Uh, you may remember that uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke are there in Philippi, and as they are uh, preaching in uh, this area where these people were gathering, um, Outside of the city, uh, they were coming uh, and hearing uh, Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy, primarily Paul we, from what we hear. And there's this young girl who is following them around and begins to proclaim that they're messengers of the Most High God and know the way of salvation. And Paul, uh, in some annoyance, but I want you to understand that this is not a spur of the moment, this isn't... Uh, you're really bothering me, you know, like my mother used to say, go outside and play. Uh, you know, it's not that. Uh, but in fact, Paul sees that this girl is problematic. One, she's demon-possessed. Two, uh, even though she's proclaiming that they are giving the message of salvation of God and Jesus Christ, do you really want her to be your spokesperson? Of course not. And so uh, seeing that this girl is demon-possessed and having uh, mercy on her, uh, Paul, in the name of Jesus, delivers this girl from uh, her demonic possession. So she was a slave girl. She, could, she was sort of a soothsayer. Um, and then we pick it up in verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. The word of the Lord. 
Okay, so what uh, is going on here is, uh, is an incredible political conversation. Philippi, uh, although in Greece, was not part of Greek culture. It was a Roman colony that was populated primarily by Roman citizens. And so uh, when Paul casts out this demon out of this young slave girl, uh, there's nothing that says that she joined um, the church uh, or that she became a Christian. Uh, but you might be able to infer it simply because this is sandwiched between the conversion of Lydia and the conversion of the Philippian jailer. But Luke doesn't tell us uh, what happened to this girl uh, after this event, but we know that her owners are very angry. And uh, Luke even does a little play on words. The Greek word that he uses for cast out is the same word he uses for them losing their ability to gain income. And so Paul not only cast out the demon, he cast out their ability to make any money off of her. And uh, using that same word. And so these uh, folks uh, grab uh, Paul and Silas and they bring them before the magistrates. And it says that they're gathered in the marketplace, uh, but actually it's the center of city life. It's where the magistrates would sit. And in fact, in the Roman tradition, there would actually be a judgment seat uh, where the ruler would sit, the magistrate would sit and m issue judgment. Uh, over uh, those who are standing trial. And you can actually go to Philippi today and see the very judgment seat uh, where this edict uh, to strip them, beat them, and put them in prison uh, was, uh, was made. You can even uh, sit on it. Uh, and you've got about 12 seconds before a rather stocky Greek gentleman comes to get you. <laughs> and uh, this charge that... Uh, you see, one of the things that we know about... Uh, the folks who owned uh, this girl, is that they were pretty smart. Uh, and you can see that uh, in their accusation uh, against uh, Paul and Silas. The first thing they say is, uh, these men are Jews. These men are Jews. Now, this was clever because this is a Roman colony, and the Roman authorities would issue a list and say, if you were a member of the following cults or religious groups, you're fine. But if you're not on the list, that's a problem. That's a big problem. Now, they were pretty lenient so long as uh, your faith didn't harm the culture of Rome. As long as it wasn't causing problems, they were fine with it. But here, very clearly, what Paul has done has caused harm to the local economy and the way of life that the Romans were accustomed to. And so right out of the gate, they say that uh, these men are Jews, uh, and because of what they've done, they've incited a riot. And you can see that as people around them are attacking them and getting upset. And what this accusation shows is an incredible amount of bigotry uh, that existed in the city of Philippi. It preyed upon the citizens' feeling of anti-Semitism and Roman superiority. And it's interesting because we know that Paul and Silas were there, but who else was there? Luke and Timothy. Why weren't they dragged before the magistrates? Because they're Gentiles. Because they're Gentiles. Where Paul, even though Timothy had a claim to Jewish heritage through his mother, uh, Paul and Silas looked Jewish. They looked different from Romans. And so they were grabbed and they were hauled before the magistrates. And the sentence was that they should be beaten 
and jailed. And this incident is so traumatic on the life of Paul that he never forgets it. It stays with him. So when you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, we hear Paul say, But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our gods declared to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And when he wrote in 2 Corinthians, he said in his list of sufferings in chapter 11, he includes this beating amongst the sufferings that he suffered for the gospel. And instead of cursing men, they praised God. And so while they're there in that jail cell, uh, they have the first all-night hymn sing. Uh, They're gossiping the gospel, and they've been put away into the center of the prison. Why? For their own safety. You know, these people are out for blood, and so we beat them. But in case anybody gets any other idea with pitchforks and torches, let's put Paul and Silas in the innermost part of the prison. And so they've been beaten, put into stocks, and there they are in the prison, and yet the prisoners were listening to them. Well, no wonder. If that were me, I'd be pretty ticked off. And it's interesting that later on we're going to find out that um, down the road uh, that Paul actually appeals to his Roman citizenship. Uh, Later on, uh, they say you're free to, uh, you know, that you can actually leave the city unharmed. And Paul issues, uh, again, another first, the first sit-in. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm a Roman citizen, and I'm not leaving until the magistrates come and they apologize for what they've done to me. Because if they're Roman citizens, actually what they did by beating them and putting them in prison is against the law. But up to this point, Paul hasn't said anything. He hasn't played his Roman citizen card. And so there he is in prison, and the prisoners are amazed uh, that here's a guy who's been beaten severely, and yet both uh, Paul and Silas are singing, and they're talking about uh, the gospel, and they're listening in. But they're not the only ones listening. Who else is listening? The jailer, right? The jailer is listening. And so now all of a sudden we hear this rather unlikely story. And if you're a skeptic, uh, I can completely understand why you would say, no way this would happen. No way that there would be an earthquake and then they would miraculously be freed. Uh, And yet this whole story is completely counterintuitive. Uh, So God causes an earthquake uh, to free Paul and Silas. Uh, And as the, the jailer sees that the gates have been thrown open. He draws a sword to kill himself, and Paul does what? Don't do it. If I were him, I would have said, see you later, sucker. And, uh, you know, good luck to you. I'm out of here. Uh, but Paul actually has mercy and compassion on the jailer and says, no, stop. Now, why would the jailer do this? Because he has one job to do. Keep prisoners in prison. And so it was punishable uh, by death, but even if the authorities didn't execute the jailer, uh, he would be as good as dead. Who's going to hire this guy? Really, It's not really all that hard. And I always think it's remarkable uh, when I hear stories about people who have escaped from prison. Uh, out in California recently, those really hardened convicts that got out. Uh, but how'd they get out? Is an inside job, right? They had people, admi- I mean, crazy prison guards being like, I got them a saw. 
Like, what did you think that they were going to make? Like little, you know, animal building blocks? Or like, I mean, what, what did you think? Well, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's almost always an inside job. And um, it's really uh, not uh, all that difficult to, to keep them in prison. I'm sure that it's difficult to keep... We just had a prison riot in Alabama. Did you know that? Uh, and, uh, and so... I went, I'll tell you another funny story. We have a lady who works here uh, at the front, uh, used to work at the front desk and now is an administrative assistant. And uh, she has really good people skills. And I was uh, saying to someone, I was like, well, gosh, she has such good people skills. And I'm like, oh, you know, she used to work at Tutwiler. And I was like, oh, so she's got like front desk skills. And they're like, no, Tutwiler prison. Uh, and she's our go-to person uh, anytime someone gets out of line. Um, <laughs> although uh, I've restricted her use of the hose. And so... Um, keeping them in is not the problem. Keeping them uh, behaving while within is the problem. And so if this guy, uh, if that's his only job and they get out, he's as good as dead. We, under, we find out that he has a family. And so he's just going to be dead weight uh, on that family that depends on his uh, income. And going back to the skeptic who would say, no way can I believe that that God would ever do this. I get it. And that's because many of us, if we don't believe uh, that uh, God would do this, it's because in the first place, we don't believe that, that God is the kind of God that would actually intervene on somebody's behalf. Uh, if anything, our God stands at a distance or worse, uh, he's sort of a disciplinarian uh, that is always trying to squash us when uh, we misbehave. And so if that's your understanding of God, I can understand why you would be skeptical that, that God could intervene uh, in a positive way uh, in anybody's life and in such a drastic way. Uh, there's no chalking it up. To, I mean, you could say, well, it was a natural phenomenon, uh, but the timing is pretty remarkable. Uh, the only explanation for it is that God actually has intervened in the life of Paul and Silas. And so uh, in that moment, the jailer, too, uh, has a lot of thinking to do in a very short amount of time. You know, is this just a natural phenomenon? Because if it is, he might actually get away with the prisoners escaping. But he knows what? Why does he go to such great lengths, to even almost killing himself? because he knows that it's not simply a natural phenomenon, uh, but the God whom Paul and Silas had been talking about and singing about uh, had in fact uh, freed them. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, um, a lot of people have abused this verse uh, and said, you know, all things... Uh, it's, it's true that all things are working for the good, uh, but it is a little bit like that wonderful little cartoon that has the Christians standing in the middle of the Colosseum and the lions are circling them and underneath it it says, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, it's a little bit like that, that we, uh, we have a hard time uh, believing uh, that God wouldn't want simply sunshine and lollipops uh, for us. Uh, but what we see is that even in those times where it seems like God is very far off and he's not very active, that he's more active than he's ever been. And so if you, that's the difference between Christianity and much of the world, especially other world religions and other philosophies. Uh, because if you look at uh, the Bible from a non-Christian uh, or non-believing perspective, uh, it doesn't make much sense. 
And so if you look at, let's, while well, we're coming up on Holy Week, if you look at what the Bible has to say, the story of Jesus' crucifixion, uh, if you're standing at the foot of the cross, uh, what do you think? Hooray? How could you possibly call that Friday good? You would say it's very bad, and you might even go so far as to say that God has never been more absent from the world than in that moment. Right, so much so that that's what the disciples thought all but John abandoned him. They said, we are out of here. Why? Because God has left the building. This is not the way it's supposed to work out. So we're going to keep ourselves locked up. Uh, and if we've got to do anything, I guess we can go back fishing. Uh, but more likely than not, uh, we're next. This is the beginning of the end. And yet what we find is that God actually was more active and had been nearer to the world than he had ever been in that moment. And so our ability to actually gauge uh, God's nearness and God's closeness uh, is very difficult uh, for us. Uh, sometimes it requires <clears throat> a great deal of hindsight uh, to look back, and there may even be those things where you can say, but I'm not sure uh, that I will ever understand where God was in that, uh, even uh, until after I die. And then God will reveal it to us. And even in the most heinous and awful of things, if you've ever read um, uh, Elie Wiesel and his uh, talking about his experience in a concentration camp during World War II, he said one of the incidents that really stuck with him uh, and that uh, he thought about for the entire, entirety of his life was uh, they, um, the guards at the camp had found uh, that a little boy had been uh, stealing uh, bread uh, and giving it to the other prisoners. And so to make an example of him, they strung him up in front of the whole camp and, and hanged him. And uh, someone from behind uh, Vizel said, uh, where is God? Where is God? And his neighbor uh, pointed to the gallows and said, God is right there. God is right there. It's hard for us to understand that. It's very hard for the world to understand that. Frank Limehouse uh, tells the story of when he was a summer seminarian. We all have to do this. Um, we have to do a, a summer placement at a parish. And he was in Alexandria, Virginia. And um, uh, a family uh, had lost their son. He had died in a car accident. And so uh, the rector and Frank went off in the vehicle to meet the family there at Children's Hospital. And they walked into the room. And the family was completely and totally undone. And Frank was just kind of over in the corner and wanted to see, what is this minister going to say to this family that has just lost their son? And the minister went up to the mother and said, uh, I want you to know that God had absolutely nothing to do with this. And with tears in her eyes, she looked up at him and she said, please don't take the only hope that I have away from me. Uh, that's a hard word. That's a really... A hard word, uh, but it's a word that uh, the jailer uh, understood in that moment that even at the moment of his death, uh, where it seemed like his whole world was lost, uh, God intervened and that it was a life worth saving. And uh, Paul, in a great act of mercy, said, uh, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer, probably in some disbelief, belief, called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, uh, not knowing, what do I do? Uh, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? My whole life, my whole worldview has been completely undone in a matter of seconds. Just tell me what to do. 
just tell me what to do. And without hesitation, they say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they go and uh, the man does what? He takes them back to his house. Uh, Those who were once his prisoners are now his guests. And he he washes uh, their wounds. And possibly with the same water in the same bowl, Paul and Silas then baptize he and his entire household. Talk about a turn uh, of events uh, in this man and his family's life. You know, it's, it's hard for me uh, to have compassion uh, on people uh, like the Philippian jailer. Uh, you can say that he's just doing his job and uh, that, uh, you know, it's, you can understand his, uh, understand his skepticism. Uh, and yet, uh, I do wonder if I would have had compassion and mercy on the jailer when he went uh, to do himself in. And in the world in which we live in, it seems to me that we often will grade people on their nearness to the Lord. I mean, we'll say things like that. Oh, like they're going to be a whole lot closer to the throne uh, than I will be uh, when, I, when I get to heaven. And yet what we find is that uh, uh, no one is nearer and no one is farther from the throne of God. Right? There, there is no uh, pecking order. There's not that person's a super Christian. In fact, one of the wonderful stories from... Uh, C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce is while the man is walking through heaven, uh, there is this uh, woman who comes down the street and the children and the people are dancing around her and, and hailing her and she's driving this golden chariot. And of course, the onlookers think, well, that's, that's the Virgin Mary, right? And uh, the angel God says, no, 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 her name's Sarah Smith. She lived in Gilders Green in England and she's just, you know, the person around. They're like, what? What? Who is she? And I love how Lewis said it. He said, she's the kind of woman who made kids love her in a way not that they wished that she was their mother, but in a way that made them love their parents more. And she made men love her, not in a way that it made wives jealous, but made husbands love their wives even more. Right? So here was a very quiet witness of a very quiet woman Uh, who uh, no one really ever would have noticed. And yet uh, we see uh, that in heaven uh, she is uh, celebrated. And I would bet that Sarah Smith feels a whole lot like uh, we do that think, you know, if I get in, I get in by the skin of my teeth. And so when Paul and Silas uh, give this answer to this Philippian jailer, uh, what must I do to be saved? They say, you just simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You put your trust in Him, and that's enough. That's enough? That is enough. And one of the things I think the devil does to us is that he uh, begins to tempt us into believing that that is not enough. That once we gain our salvation in Jesus, now it's up to us uh, to maintain it. And that, in fact, it can be lost. And that stands, you know... We read uh, in uh, John's gospel that, uh, that Jesus' sheep are in his hand and no one, no one can ever pluck them out of his hand. And yet, uh, isn't there a part of our hearts that believe that that might just be possible? That that just might be possible? I tell the story of my stepbrother who went to one of those, and I was with him when this happened, uh, 
I don't know if it's still making the rounds, this play called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. And what it is, is this is drama uh, that churches would host, and they would have these vignettes of, you know, teenagers dying in a car crash, or a patient dying in a hospital bed, or someone who has even committed suicide. And then it shows whether or not they are carried off by the angels and there's rejoicing and their wings flap and all that kind of stuff. Uh, or uh, out comes the devil with the pitchfork who drives, drives them into hell. Well, by the end of it, uh, I mean, it's like a mass stampede to get forward, right? Why? Why wouldn't you come forward and receive Jesus? Like, I don't want to burn. You know, I don't want that guy with the red pitchfork. And so uh, most people who are coming forward are more afraid of burning than they are of sinning. And, uh, and it's sort of just to get uh, their, their fire insurance. Now, that's not to say that God can't work through that, uh, but that is to say that it often reminds me of the parable of the gospel seed uh, that is scattered, and some of it is not able to take root because of a rocky heart. Uh, some of it only takes a little bit of root uh, and springs up very quickly and fades away, uh, but there's a, a gospel seed that is sown uh, into the fertile heart, uh, which grows uh, into uh, fruition. Now, when I hear that parable as well, I think, well, okay, I can, I feel comfortable saying, well, that must have been rocky soil, but who am I to say that my heart was fertile and that the, the seed that was sown in my life has grown into fruition? Well, I mean, if you've ever done any planning, uh, even tomatoes in the garden, I, I tried that upside down What's that called, topsy-turvy tomatoes or whatever it's called? It's the dumbest, but I'm a sucker for it. I, as seen on TV, count me in. Um, and uh, even if, uh, you know, I've never once seen a plant will itself into fruition, right? If left to itself, can it come to fruition? No, it needs to be tended, it needs to be gardened, it needs to be fed, it needs to be watered. Uh, it needs all of those things, and so uh, if that's to happen, that's not in our own effort. Uh, that's God the Holy Spirit who can continues to water uh, and, and, and feed us. Another parable that Jesus told is about a fig tree that uh, for years had not produced fruit, and uh, the owner says to the laborer in the vineyard, uh, I'm going to cut that tree down. And the laborer says, no, 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 no. G give me some time uh, to... Uh, to water it and tend it, and, and let's see if it might not uh, produce fruit. Now, uh, that may make us anxious too, but uh, what uh, Jesus shows us in that parable is that uh, when that time of judgment comes, uh, his harvest, his trees, uh, his fruit, uh, they don't get chopped down. And why don't they get chopped down? It's not because of our ability to produce our own fruit, uh, because no plant can do that. We can simply bear the fruit uh, that God works through us, uh, but because Jesus himself gets chopped down. Right? And so here in this jail scene, uh, we see compassion uh, being shown uh, to someone that may not merit compassion, that may not deserve compassion, and yet God, in His infinite mercy, reaches down uh, and changes this jailer's heart. Now, uh, he didn't come to it uh, simply uh, because, um, you know, he, he'd been thinking about spiritual things, although he may have done that. Uh, but the only thing that we have from the Scriptures that tells us how he came to this place is what? 
eavesdropping, right? He heard the word. He heard the word. It was a word outside of him in the witness of Paul and Silas, of, you know, uh, who should have been cursing uh, the authorities, including himself. Uh, and yet uh, he heard them uh, talking, gossiping the gospel and uh, praising the Lord uh, through song. And that word uh, took deep root uh, into his heart and was brought to fruition uh, in an instance. And so this Philippian jailer is a model to us, uh, a story that ought to remind us that God's um, arm is never too short to save. And uh, even there, uh, locked up in a prison cell with their uh, feet in the stocks, uh, shackled, uh, that even there God used Paul and Silas to do a great work. Um, You know, I, I would have probably felt like John the Baptist. Remember when John the Baptist was in jail? Uh, and they came to visit him, and his word to Jesus was what? Are you really the one, or should we be waiting for somebody else? Because I don't like prison one bit. Right? Uh, you know, I, I, I get that uneasiness. I love how human the Bible is that, that shows uh, the way that our hearts operate. And yet, even there, uh, they kept their eyes fixed upon Jesus, knowing that God's alien work is just that. It's alien. And if we try to discern it sometimes, uh, we're going to get it wrong. Uh, We're going to get it wrong. And uh, that is uh, the topsy-turviness of uh, God's grace, and certainly not those ridiculous tomatoes. Okay, questions, comments, concerns? Does Paul ever play his Roman card? Yes. So later on he does, and it actually would ultimately lead to his undoing. Uh, It would lead to his death, uh, because when he claims to be a Roman citizen, it eventually gets appealed all the way up to uh, Caesar, and that's why um, he goes to Rome uh, to make his case to Caesar, which, of course, doesn't work, uh, and uh, and he is beheaded. So he does play the Roman card uh, at times, uh, and then there are times when he doesn't, like he doesn't play it here immediately. Um, there's a moment at Caesarea Philippi, not Caesarea Maritina, uh, which you can go to today. You actually see where he was judged there, uh, and he, he should have played his Roman card a little bit stronger there, and he didn't. Um, you know, one of the things that <coughs> happened in the early church was people started to try to be martyred. Like they were looking for trouble. And if you read some of the early accounts of the martyrs after the, after the New Testament canon closed, uh, it's almost like they were trying to get in trouble with the authorities. Uh, but the problem with that is that that draws attention to who? Not God, but themselves. All right, look at me uh, and, and my strong faith. Uh, now, that's not to say that you should cower, uh, but that's not to say that you should be sticking your head in lions' mouths. And I mean, I, you know, to, to bounce off of that, you know, there are, um, you know, I, I think it's hard for us to get perspective today um, on, on what real persecution is. I do think that there's persecution of Christians in the United States and that there's a certain amount of oppression to be able to express uh, your faith. But it's nothing like what people in the, in the Middle East uh, are suffering or, uh, or other places. I mean, uh, is, even in Israel today, it's actually against the law to evangelize. 
It's against the law to evangelize. And in many countries, it's that way. So I was talking to a friend who's a missionary in China, and, uh, and he said, you know, you can't come in uh, on a, um, you can't come in as a missionary. And he said, and yet, and he's in that province where they're taking all the crosses down. I don't know if you know that. The Chinese government in one of the states is taking crosses off of churches. Uh, they need to read their history books. That doesn't work. Uh, but in fact, it, it normally increases church attendance. Uh, but what he said was that, and at the same time, the Chinese are so desperate to have their children learn English because, you know, they, have a, they had a one-child policy. Now they have a two-child policy. And uh, they're so desperate to get them ahead that they'll do anything to advance their children. And so learning English is one of those things that the government will actually look the other way if you use the Bible to teach the kids English because they're learning English and they're, they're happy for that. Now, when the child becomes a Christian, that's a whole other story. Um, I think of Paul and Silas in prison and um, what the conditions must have been like in that prison for all the prisoners. Just the, 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 the dirt and um, the despair and the despondency and what a balm for the prisoners' souls just to have Paul and Silas singing and, and, and speaking. And just yeah. what, a, what, a, what a rest for the soul that that must have provided yeah. just for these folks that may have never even heard of God or been yeah. angry or... Yeah, there's a really wonderful documentary on Angola prison uh, in Louisiana, and uh, which is a really uh, terrible place. Do you know about the rodeo, about the prison rodeo there? So it's actually pretty, uh, some of the things at the rodeo are, are wonderful. You know, they, they make crafts and things like that that they can sell, and it's, it's really meant to be a way for the prisoners to earn some money. Uh, as well as to get some good PR for the prison. Uh, but they actually have uh, things like um, they stick money to a bull that has been seized up, and, uh, and the whole object is to kind of get the money off the bull without being gored or trampled. Uh, it's a really cruel and, and terrible event um, and uh, is despicable. Uh, but watch that documentary, and they spend most of their time talking about this man uh, who is like Paul and Silas in prison, who has this very quiet ministry and actually is afraid he might get paroled uh, because, uh, because it would mean him being taken out of the prison. And how, um, but at the same time, where the prisoners love him and look to him as an authority figure, uh, there are a lot of prisoners there who do not love him. Uh, and if you've ever been a part of any prison ministry like Kairos or uh, talk to the DeBartolaben brothers, they're very active in prison ministry. Are either one of them here today? All right, not Christians today. Uh, just kidding. Um, probably in prison, probably. Uh, you know, it is um, just the conditions of the prisons in the United States and how that was even better than Roman prisons. Uh, and the, um, you know, being uh, disparaged and, um, and, and really uh, treated uh, in an inhumane manner uh, that even the smallest of things they're bowled over by. Uh, so, like, we bake cookies for the inmates. And the last, I mean, it, it just totally undoes them. Uh, the kids make placemats for them and, and, and cards and write them letters. And they're just totally undone because who would love me? Who would love me? Uh, as I've said before, Karl Barth said that the easiest group that he'd ever preached to were prisoners. He said, I didn't have to convince them they were guilty. 
Uh, and so uh, here is a man like this jailer uh, who was surrounded by guilt. Uh, and, um, and the gospel broke through. And the gospel broke through. It reminds me of Paul himself saying that you know he'd rather go on to heaven, but that the Lord's not through with him, and that most of his ministry was in prisons, ministering to people that were stuck with him in prison. Yeah, I hate the saying "bloom where you're planted," but he kind of did. Uh, and uh, I also, you know, sometimes I read Paul and I realize how he was right, and he admits it. He goes, "Look, I'm single. This is easy for me." Right? I don't have to, you know, use, you know, if I get one phone call, I don't have to worry about calling my wife. I'm going to call my lawyer. Uh, you know, that makes sense. Uh, so he is able to, to kind of do these things, and it, there's no collateral damage uh, to anybody, really, that he's in prison, and he really is going to use it to his benefit. And yet, at the same time, he doesn't, he's not one of those guys who makes lemonade out of lemons. Uh, in fact, you can hear the deep anguish and uh, brokenness in his last epistle, 2 Timothy, where he realizes this is probably the last thing I'm ever going to write to you, the last time you'll ever be able to hear my voice, at least through my writing. And it, when you read 2 Timothy in that light of awaiting his own death, it changes the tone of the letter. Uh, but he certainly, uh, you know, didn't say, woe is me. He did wish that people would visit him more often because he admitted to being lonely. And there was a fear amongst some in the church that, um, and talk about contemporary implications, uh, you, know, what, you know, I don't want to be associated with somebody who's in prison, uh, even knowing that he's been jailed uh, unjustly. I don't want to identify with those people. And yet we find that that's exactly who Jesus identifies with. And they're able to identify with him. All right, I'm convinced the way that the world is going, we're all going to end up in jail. And so um, if I do, uh, visit me and bring me a saw uh, and, and anything. And any. have y'all, do y'all, have y'all, there's a place in Birmingham that does this. They call it team building, but I just want to drop my kids off there. And they like put you in a cell or something, and you've got to work together as a team uh, to, to get out. What's it called? Break out. Locked in. Anyway, we ought to just do that here at the church. We'll lock all y'all in and uh, see how that goes. All right, go in peace to love and serve the Lord.